we have to remember that when the great collectors were going around collecting, it was a very unnatural setting mm-hmm. because they weren't, the people who were telling the stories weren't necessarily used to television and talking about the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Um, so when this big machine was put up against their mouths, like a gramophone, it was almost like a gramophone. I don't know if you saw pictures of it. The edaphone, yeah, I think yeah. it's called. Um, well, they were just being obliging and telling the stories. So they were kind of speaking into the microphone. And, you know, they were, it wasn't a natural setting for for storytelling. But at Brie and O'Brien, we'd always say, like, you know, your voice has to rise and fall. The people's, your arms have to move. You know, it's, it's almost impossible to speak without moving some part of your anatomy. Mm-hmm. And I think it was almost like Irish dancing. Um, like when I was wee and I was learning Irish dancing, because everybody learned Irish dancing. Like if you moved any part of your body but above your hips, it's almost, you know, you, it, it, you know, just wasn't meant to happen. Mm-hmm. But now Shano's dancing, mm-hmm. which is like the, it's just going back to the roots of it. And it, the head is going, the arms are going, the wrist is going, the hips are going, everything is going, and it's just great. It's much more freer, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I think that storytelling now is going to be like that. Like there's less rules and regulations. Just do what you want. Tell the story. Enjoy it. You know, be expressive. It's not just about telling what happened on this particular day to Finn McCool and Oshin and Oscar. It's the joy of the story. Fairfolk is a podcast devoted to bringing folk tradition to life. I'll begin this episode with some brief good news. The first piece of Fairfolk merchandise is now available on my website, a tote bag designed by the artist Esme Shapiro. I'm going to be holding a giveaway on Instagram starting on December 2nd with prizes from Phoebe Wall and Matthew Glover, also known as Sin Eater. To enter the contest, you just need to take a photo of the tote bag and I'll announce the details on the day it starts. You can purchase a tote bag at my new website, fairfolkcast.com, and follow and participate in the giveaway on Instagram by following me, at danica.child. If you order a tote bag in the next week or so, there's still time to participate in the photo contest I'll be holding December 2nd. Sales of the tote bag help support me in continuing to make Fairfolk Podcast. Another way you can support this work of mine is to become a Patreon subscriber. I make a bonus Almanac episode for my subscribers there every month, and I hear that people enjoy it a great deal. Please visit patreon.com slash fairfolkcast to sign up for the Almanac and help me get to the last 25% of the way of making Fairfolk full-time for myself, or you can visit fairfolkcast.com to get that tote bag. I recorded this conversation last fall with the award-winning Irish storyteller Ethne Nigulliher. She has a PhD in medieval Irish literature, and she works on the Dictionary of Historical Irish at the Royal Irish Academy, Ireland's leading body of experts in the sciences and humanities. She lives in Ardra in Donegal, a county on the rocky northwest coast of Ireland, and she learned storytelling from the last living traditional storytellers there in that county. 
In our conversation, she told me about storytellers she'd known of the old generation and the local traditions of spinning yarns, of storytelling rhythms and images, how she was struck not only by the skill of those she'd learned from, but even more by their kindness and generosity. Her manner in storytelling and in hospitality follows the same lineage. In conversation, Ethne was soft-spoken and generous, offering her genuine self without much fuss or artifice. It's maybe not what you would expect from a practice that requires memorization of long oral texts, but it's the creativity and softness, the givingness of the storyteller, that she sees in her elders and embodies herself. The way that Ethne spoke about her life and the people in it was so specific and tender. She invoked a whole village of names, bringing me right into her community and dialect. Visiting her house in Ardra, she treated me with typical Irish hospitality, sitting me down in front of the fireplace and offering me tea and chocolate. We spoke about how she decided to become a storyteller, how traditional storytelling was embodied, not just spoken. And she tells the beginning of two stories in Irish, which I think you may enjoy hearing as much as I did. Because I don't speak Irish, I wasn't able to understand what exactly she was saying, but in some ways this only emphasized one of the points that she makes here, that it's the rhythm and the cadence of the story, not really the words, that make a story a meditative experience, a gift, even a song. And I work for Folklore Negatica with the Royal Irish Academy, but I'm also um, a storyteller and I play the fiddle and um, I write. That's about it. I remember when I was wee, when I was at national school, I used to love when the master and the mistress were telling stories. And my sisters, one sister in particular, um, were talking about this recently and I said, oh, my favourite time at national school was when the master and the mistress would read us a story and she has no recollection of ever being read a story, none. And I have loads of memories of them reading stories. I can still remember the beige hardback that the master used to read out of. And she, like for her, this never happened. So I suppose you just hold on to the moments that you enjoyed. And like I would just have wiped out any maths class out of my memory. I don't remember them ever happening, <laughs> even though I can still recite all the times tables in Irish off heart. So they must have happened, but I don't remember them happening. Yeah, I just loved the storytelling. So I was always aware. And also my father would have told us stories when we were away. But my neighbours, Annie and John the Tay, they were always telling yarns not stories you know not stories with a beginning middle and end where the good are rewarded and the evil are punished but they were just about local people doing this and doing that and where they were from and the genealogies and what the place names meant and what happened in that place and what went on years ago and what was meant to happen what was prophecies to happen so I was always in in their house and that was always going on so you were always aware of story like everything was about the story and if you wanted to entertain you had to have a good story mm -hmm. you know what's what 
what happened today at school? Well, and you just launch into something, let it be true or false, you know, but you'd have to have a story just for the sake of entertainment. You'd, you'd be aware of language and of the rhythm of language that the older people around here all had. So I just loved that. And then there was an old woman, older woman who lived up the up the hill from me. Um, Gracie was her name. Now she was a storyteller. She was an amazing storyteller. And I became interested in story and I asked her would she tell me stories and I recorded her. She was very kind and helpful. And I'm, I'll be always very grateful to her because she gave me her time and she had stories of Finn McCool and Fiona Aaron. You know, Finn McCool is a great hero of Irish literature. And she had heard those stories from her father. And then uh, many years later, I found that she was one of the main contributors to uh, Bailech and the Skull, the Skulls collection. It was the great, it's, which makes the Irish National Collection of Folklore one of the greatest collections in the world, where the National School children went out and collected stories and poems and songs from the older people in their localities. And she was one of the teachers up in Aidan Infa, it's a school in the Glen of Glenties, just in the, in the Blue Stack Mountains. And um, she wrote endless pages of stories herself mm -hmm. you know not it wasn't just that the children wrote she wrote these stories so um i was very lucky that i, I that i heard uh, stories that went back generations from an unbroken link to the past mm -hmm. and then i also knew a, a lady maya vanny Kelly, who taught in another school in skull and the grua the crows um so that family, it was a cousin, it was a first cousin of Gracie's, I think she was a first cousin. She's definitely a cousin of, you know, some relation. And um, I learned some stories of her as well. And she was just beautiful. It was the rhythm of the story. So it wasn't just the language, it was the rhythm. And then there was another man who lived just in between Ardra and Glencomkill. His name was uh, Brian O'Boyle, Brian Brainy, And... When I started working in a carrick, I kept being my friendly with Brian because, well, we had two things in common. We loved story and we loved cats. Mm -hmm. So I'd call into him often on the way home from work when I'd be leaving Carrick and coming back to Ardra. And um, I would I would just call in out, out to the blues and say, oh, and a scale there. And he would just start. Be shown a wada hini, so wada hini, hey, hey. Be far in the honey, he's in the lane, because we mock because we need a and he would just launch into that, and you know there was no, there was nothing extraordinary about it, and often people would come and or they would ask me, you know, where, where did you learn your stories? And I'd ask Breen, could we call up to see him? And he'd always, he would always make people welcome. He was just such, so gentle, and he had no family of his own, and all he wanted to do was pass it on. He was just the generosity of the man with his time and his expertise and the kindness of him. Like even one time I remember that there was uh, students in Derry in McGee College and I was chatting to one of the lecturers, Pather McGowan, Peter Smith, and he said, he just happened to mention that it'd be lovely for the students to hear a storyteller. So I asked Brian would he come down and he came down here one night and he was actually sitting in this chair and he just told about three Schilti Fianniacta, three stories of Finn McCool and the Fian. And he used to love to sing as well. He'd sing away all night long. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
he he was go he was losing his hearing, so it was kind of hard for him to keep a conversation. But when he'd be telling the story, for him it wasn't about performance as such. You know, it was there was an interaction, and so even though he couldn't hear because he didn't have a hearing aid, mm-hmm. but he could still partake through story and you know he just couldn't be more helpful so it wasn't just the storyteller in him and and in Gracie and in Maya Vanikali that you'd be drawn to it was the gentleness and the kindness and uh, the awareness of what they had was so important and they wanted or, or not that they wanted but that they were so willing to pass it on that they would they were so patient and given of their time mm. not, not not once uh, was I ever told oh that'll do now or that's enough or it's time to go home even though they may have thought it they just um, they just kept uh, they, they were just kind and generous with, and with everyone not just with me anyone who expressed an interest in storytelling so I think I, I got it from them really amazing and really, they are the last storytellers in South Donegal. There is another man, um, Jean Curran, Anna Curran in Antillan, who's an amazing storyteller. He's just incredible. And he's, a, and also he's a, another man who's very generous with his time. But I didn't know him mm-hmm. at the time that I was, when I, time I began to become interested in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's, he's just outstanding storyteller. The storytelling that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. it was on the back foot for a long time. Um, you know, it was second to Shano singing. It was mm-hmm. a way down the line after music, mm-hmm. after dance, after other aspects of, even after poetry. Um, but now I think that it's getting a wee lift again. Uh, everybody is a storyteller. It's just the kind of the genre of storytelling. Um, like everybody can t- spin a yarn, mm-hmm. but that isn't the kind of storytelling that I do, even though I love spinning yarns as well. Like depend- <laughs> depending on where you are, we're all fit to do it, you know. And we all, I think everyone enjoys doing it and everyone, you know, a lot of people enjoy hearing. Recitation is another thing that was kind of almost, you, you just didn't hear it for ages. Now you'll go into a pub you go into the Beehive in Ardra and you might get PJ Manalis doing a recitation. Mm. And it's just, it's so good to see it all coming back again. Mm. Mm. What kind of storytelling do you like to do? Well, I just love Feeney Act and Drury Act. So Feeney Act is the stories of Finn McCool mm. and this band of warriors, Feeney Aaron. And Drury Act then is the stories um, I think there might be older stories there about Cúchollin uh, and uh, Cláir and um, they're more they're more fierce the fiercer stories can you say more fierce mm-hmm. yeah and um, they're all very connected to the landscape mm-hmm. so yeah they're the stories that I like to do but again it's it's not just the language and the language is beautiful for me it's the rhythm I think for um, I remember reading like an academic by an, an article by an academic person who said, "Oh, there should be no acting 
and storytelling it's you know it's not a performance it was the storyteller just sat there and you know was stationary and told the story but I think that's nonsense Mm -hmm. I think that's just an academic outlook and we have to remember that when the great collectors were going around collecting it was a very unnatural setting Mm -hmm. because they weren't the people who were telling the stories weren't necessarily used to television I'm talking about the 30s and the 40s and the 50s um so when this big machine was put up against the mouse, like a gramoph- it was almost like a gramophone. I don't know if you saw pictures of it. The edaphone, yeah, I yeah. think it's called. Um, well, they were just being obliging and telling the stories. So they were kind of speaking into the microphone. And, you know, they were, it wasn't a natural setting for, for storytelling. But at Breen O'Brien, we'd always say, like, you know, your voice has to rise and fall. The people's, your arms have to move. You know, it's, just, it's almost impossible to speak without moving some part of your anatomy. Mm-hmm. And I think it was almost like Irish dancing. Um, like when I was wee and I was learning Irish dancing, because everybody learned Irish dancing. Like if you moved any part of your body but above your hips... <laughs> It's almost, you know, you it, it you know just wasn't meant to happen. Mm-hmm. But now Shano's dancing, mm-hmm. which is like the it's it's going back to the roots of it. And it, the head is going, the arms are going, the wrist is going, the hips are going, everything is going, and it's just great. It's much more freer, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I think that storytelling now is going to be like that. Like there's less rules and regulations. Just do what you want. Tell the story. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, ex- be expressive. It's not just about telling what happened on this particular day to Finn McCool and Oshin and Oscar. It's the joy of the story. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd heard that, 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 um, that like music, I mean, sort of this, how things become formalised in a strange way. Formalised, that was it. It became formalised. Yeah, um, because, of how it, because of how it was collected. That's such an interesting thing and then it becomes sort of um, static. But I don't know if that's true. You know, that's just what I think. But Mm -hmm. may that be right or wrong? I don't know. It's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like the sorts of stories that you are interested in do have a lot of connection to landscape. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Would you tell me something about about how these stories um, shape the way that we see the, or you see the Irish landscape? Yeah, I think, well, the stories of Finn McCool and the Fianna and of Cook Holland, they're, they're Irish stories, but you'd get the same story happening in Ardra as you would in the Glen Glenties, as you would in Glen Colum Kelly, or you might in Schlievluchra. I think that's down in Cork, maybe Kerry, I'm not too sure. But you'd get the same stories, but they were just kind of transported. So, for example, you know the dolmen stones? There's one just down the road in Kilcluny. It's like a massive big rock on top of two stones, legs, but they're stones. And I think they're meant to be burial places. But when Jeremidge and Grania went up, there was the story of the love triangle, you know, the old man and the young man and the young woman um it's very common in storytelling i think it's like arthur and guinevere and tristan and isolde so you have finn is the alpha then you have jeremid who is i think it was he finn's nephew and then you had grania so finn was promised to grania and then 
she falls in love with Jim at the wedding party and she puts him free acid from a director to go off with her because she didn't want to marry to the Arthur. Mm. So they head off. And then, of course, Finn, when he realises what's happening, he gathers his band of warriors and off with him. And poor old Jim and Grania have to go from... Oh, Hurtug, good Hurtug. They have to go from one tuft of grass to another tuft of grass trying to escape. And they can only spend their nights under... Oh, they spend their nights under a dolmen stone mm. because they've got shelter mm. from the rain and the winds. But... um. Apparently then, those dolmen stones became fertility stones. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's in the folklore. If you read the folklore collection, there's, yeah. now, there's not a wide lot of references to it, but that might have been because for religious reasons. They didn't want to write it down, you know. Yeah. But, like, it's in the oral... Uh, it's in the oral heritage yeah. that they are fertility stones. And so it might be linked to German granny. Yeah. Like, uh, lying under them as they went on the run. For love. I don't know, did he love her, mind you? I think she loved him. She made him go with her. <laughs> so there's loads of stories like that, you know. And so whenever I pass it on, which is a lot, I always think of Jeremy and Grania. And I'd be very grateful that it didn't happen to me. I wasn't married often. Somehow, man. Like poor Grania. I think it was, an, like it was arranged for her father. And of course it was arranged, you know, for land and power. And he was a king. And but those dolmen stones are all over the country. Yeah. So if we were telling it, it would probably be about that dolmen stone. You know, we'd, we'd, you'd be thinking of that one. But if you were down in Clare, there's one in the Burren as well. They're all along the West Coast. They've been mapped. Um, you would just make the story your own, you know, put in a few place names. And it would be the same with... Um, with the le- you know the smaller stories like most of the some of the stories could last up to an hour mm-hmm. um others then would be two minutes but they're no less a story you know it's not the time that it's not the length of time that makes it a good story it's what happens The rhythm of storytelling you're saying is that, mm. um, how does that work? Well, it's quite funny because I just, I suppose I play, I play the fiddle. I'm not a very good fiddle player, but I play the fiddle and I love music. And um, I'd have always been well aware when I was wee of people speaking rhythmically, especially the lady that lived beside us, Annie the Tay. I was always in at her. And every time she opened her mouth there was a rhythm to what she said mm-hmm. you know you could just you could beat a drum to her and um i just loved it and in my head i'd be repeating what she'd say you know and um so whenever i'm telling a story the rhythm just comes i never set out but whenever because Brian O'Boyle didn't really tell stories rhythmically. He had his own. He had his own real gentle way. I suppose everybody has their own wee way. But even if I was telling a story in English, you know, to my nephews or in Irish to my nephews, I'd still, it'd, it'd still come out rhythmically. And I suppose I wasn't well aware of it until um, I'd be practicing maybe because we've we have the erectus erectus nigeliga here. 
and it's a competition you have a storytelling competition imagine so and you'd, I'd be practicing for that and I'd find myself you know I'd be telling a story I'd be sitting here because this is where I sit and um, my wee cat always lies there and I, after you know five minutes when you're on your own you you, can't, you just be yourself and I'd just be like this and it just comes to and I find myself like rocking back and forth back and forth and once you start rocking back and forth you just keep the rhythm you know it's like uh, being on a rocking chair but I'm not I'm just rocking to myself <laughs> rocking on my bum um, I wear my hips out <laughs> because um, yeah and I was never aware of it until my friend Liam was always saying God it's like it was him who pointed out the rhythm of it mm-hmm. but it's just the way I talk so when you're telling a story then I suppose it's more amplified Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love it. It's it's the mantra. It's not just the story. It's escapism. You know, I think the rhythm, and that's another thing about telling a story as well. Like if I'm telling, if I'm asked to tell a story, I wouldn't expect everyone to be hanging on to every word. I wouldn't even expect anyone to be listening to every word. And I think that's the beauty of storytelling. I think that's the gentleness. A storytelling that you don't have in a film where you're bombarded with images you know it's it's constant and color and flashes and the uh, shot changes and it's just constant 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 but with storytelling it's it's much gentler you're more in charge it's a meditation in a way i think you're more in control of yourself and you can come into it and you can go out of it as you please yourself um, but the rhythm, yeah, like st- storytelling isn't far from song. I hadn't really thought about storytelling as a natural thing so much, like, or something that would come naturally to you because it seems so difficult, you know, or like it seems difficult if you haven't grown up building your brain in that way or something. Yeah, well, see, I think my brain was built to me, was built like that, announced to myself. Because my grandmother, I think I'm very like her, my mother's mother. Now, she was born, I think was it 1900, and she was she was very funny. Maybe she was a wee bit eccentric. I don't know. She were all eccentric, really, aren't we, in her own wee way? But Nanny, anyway, was always reciting stuff. Like, it was constant. You know, it wasn't, um, and now I'll tell you, a poem. It was... Oh, Nanny's saying a poem and she's baking bread. It was just all the time. And um, I think when we'd go down to visit her, <laughs> uh, it was well funny. She would always take you in breakfast in bed. It was so, you know, you'd go down to Nanny's and you'd get spoiled. But she wouldn't let you out of bed until she told you a story or a big long poem, be it in Irish or in English, mostly English. Like The Lady of Shalott, for example, that, that was a great one. But you couldn't you couldn't budge until the whole thing was told. So like, and this was she was a national school teacher. But it would if it wasn't a poem, it was 
Shakespeare. If it wasn't Shakespeare, it was Egan or Rahalia. And she would float in and out of both. You know, like there was Irish or English. It didn't really matter. It was, you know, she could be telling you something out of Shakespeare, which would have meant nothing to me. I don't know now about my sisters. I doubt it. Um, and then it could be, you know, 10 minutes of Kurt Giovannica. She just had everything off by heart. And I think maybe that some people's brains are wired to learn stuff very easily off by heart. And if I if I heard, um, you know, a song three times and I would know the song, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't be fit to, to sing it or anything, but I would know, I'd know 90% of the words for sure. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just that's the way that I don't find it hard to learn stuff mm-hmm. off by heart. And when I'm writing, I'm always wild afraid that it's somebody else's because I edit books. So, you know, if I read, if I read something, it's in my head. And then if I'm writing something, I'm thinking, Jesus, does that belong now to Seamus O'Grainer? Is this his book? I'm after writing. <laughs> but then um, my friend Tara Connaughton, who's an amazing fiddle player, she was saying that a lot of musicians feel like that when they write a new tune that they sometimes think, gosh, is this similar, very similar to someone to another tune that's written? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the, the same way that someone who hears a tune twice will be able to play it. Mm-hmm. I could do that. If I hear a story, then I'd be able to tell it. Because now you wouldn't have it word for word. And yet I'd never tell a story the exact same way twice. Mm-hmm. Because depending on the form you're in, that's how you would tell it. And... You know, if you're in bad form, you might put the emphasis on the good bits or the bad bits. So if you're in great form, you might speed it up or slow it down. You know, you just don't know how you feel. But all you can do is just, um, uh, what would you say, just uh, turn the key and go down the hill, see what happens. <laughs> I'd never heard that expression. <laughs> Nor did I. <laughs> just free wheel, isn't that it? Just go free. You have a free wheel. Yeah. This is the story of how the Fianna came to an end. You know, I'm here real Ganskill or in the Shanskill, the main Ganon scale, Homin Hain scale, the main Born, the Honine, the main Balu, the Hockname, and Shah, Nertasha, I am so, and Choymashae. Nerhanic Neil, can you all get here in how she skinned the Fianna, Ravanim Dih, and Skin Rana? Augusta Lugtian Skinrana er ein hjáhu de íja, jótt sjátt gána veina fæ. Ládna leiha agus úrðina húra, lúið fjána erna mahalag. Augusta ní rósi de wadam weich nara warisht fía. Hrsi tíst chinni, rásta si de fía, augusta rinn kádruha de njáðis an Skinrana. Hí si tíst, augusta jíh anilag anja okú fæ. Lúis de sian sin go blian an jas, agus ra fan ma cúil ard agus de han a vel agus ran fas, agus dúirt fan go miot an cashlan ab irre de wake in ya a water wheel and a has hus a glance in a han icha agus je cherash fuin talu a han la. Helig na fian yr lofa gro nôn bag agus jiru an leon, a har elu na wala dofa go je a vei. And skin rana kalche. Tarni of Fijigi gavekichit ke rather horn the skinya, August hitche, er hornen, August er gal, 
Jimmy Conn and Lesh, Agus Sweetie Shea Dosha her an Ach, and her Wari shouldn't be an Wajin Chen, who is she on Hurtish and Ach go my, at near Hanak Shea and Shkin Rana. And Shen Sweetie Shea a Hashlan, a lower thinner and Wajin Chen, Agus Rin Conn and the Mah and the Inchil Hain, Grad Sheshin, the Glana, go Vekachin, Tim the Shaw. Once you get the dawn, Nervishek Tarin Cheraglan, Chishan, Gal, Solis Shahagiri, and Larges is there. Relish get the Ella, August Chishan Kashlan, of Ear Rare, her Hulshi Green, the Gala Harewer, eh, a leg in the Onyagi, August last though Halu the Chain. She slick on and August Dark Shish Jaff, Regkin the Snafonyagi, August Gajay Chishas the Escafter, the Er Fugger Weejer. Eid alig tarnacht, an shkin rana oku agus i shinu hwgenia gudunia. Hai kan an achaj eidi wihas jath lesh agus hasjian na mask. Nyo rwa dan gud anig an shkin hwvada lesh hain. Lig wat an shkin, ers a dynia dis na fyr. Is lor a luus wytuwe, ers a fyr ha. Is lor a luus wytuwe, ers a dynia oku agus leshin. Lug. Conan Oru, Hi, Shish, Ginnish, Jahanahiu, Agus Nir Stadchigal Dofa, Gajigro and Chumnanaku Maruiga, A far, a wine, a jimmyer. There Conan Hart and Chahanshan, Agus Nirvishahus the Chomra, Hanakshir Wolf, more or a grey brawling of his spreacher bard on. Yangle Conan, Kira Corn and the brawling, Huglishator, Agusir Hulish, a tarrange, a and the story goes on and on and on like that. So that's just a, a very simple um, story. But it's uh, at the end, it's very tragic. Well, I suppose a lot of them are wild tragic. But uh, um, at the end, there's no one left of the fiend. They all start fighting among themselves. I was so enchanted by her story that I asked her if she would tell me another one. Yeah, I think I've got the start of it. It's all, it's like a tune, you know, if you can remember the first couple of notes, then you'll have the entire thing. Nervi kukhalan yuman lahak nuna jeg. Nuro wakasawi lefal har nahir. Erri wa gashka khasilu hags akliat. Hagsasidraha namasha hula shi omre er skahi war. Ban liya inta arun nakliha gashka hags fart yak deki. Nahroig minya gramadon yaki. Enur a wine, you hula kuhulling omre a wine, Leisha. Nian had daddy or be kush dog, a dorage a kurchari. Augusgawan the Hachewuhi, the Joku leshe, cudged in a classa yaki. Jacha carge the corle her kuhulling, Augusan rune shaha haiwa mahasahon. Me new doff in the jackrati veil river, Augusan hunter's bash of a chehorhainon, at Nero Meyer be lesh. Hayhit Kuhalin Gulara Kurcha on Urga Hershish Jahanishone, Nui Filish Gilu, Nale Kang, Lay Murajeche, Ogather Jayu, Togukia the Hindo. Hain Kuhalin Lesh, a Tarrant, your Sky Ward, 
Nero tour in the Leyadega, Caro Aris Namrasho, Ahin Shelesh, Frege the Kevrin, Frege the Crick, Frege the Mincha, Frege the Moncha, Shalga Heskaji, Shalgo Haskali of Rikiver, because a wassy grown on bug, because Jeru and Leon, Gro Dunta Duha and the Hihe Dredgemlesh, Dunta Gala and Legamatwea, Groena Habaga and the Kalya Krewa, a gulf of Osku, a Spijan and Dilyar, and Garen Ban. Gofa <laughs> Ní mhisce lioga ar sa cúchalling, ní scéal rúin ar bíoch mo chóras. Hasi sé gan tiúd an ógana go jéibhir an tiúnaga iánú, an bhola saíodh ar sa tógana go jéibhir tatú Garbala athrana avrite é, agus gar ami far calana croga. A dag a chraw a skilche, skilche air roam, at ni chorin chin bug ochtan a brathem, kathrim na creech a glorim sersesheshen. Nun yr cael yw riw, at ya a hui a gunterch. So that story, it's, that's the story where he kills his own son, you know. But I think it's very, it's very dramatic story, the story itself. I love it, um, the bit where he's going on a journey, he and Shailesh Frege and the Kevri, he went through the mountains and through the valleys, through the, the boglands and through the flatlands until the clouds of night were drawn towards him and the dew uh, and the clouds of the morning were heading away from him until the wee songs of the night, until the wee birds of the night were going, were going to sleep and the moth asked the dock and leaf could he sleep under its shelter but the dock and leaf wouldn't let him <laughs> i think that's why well nice and garen van i go for etchot in the cup like a cup like a jewel to jeej and he heard it all isn't it nice yeah just the imagery it's of it you know isn't yeah. it it is yeah it's, it's very beautiful and that's the imagery in all of them so you would get caught up you know in the in the painting of it uh, sometimes I think it'd be lovely just uh, to see someone actually do a painting as you. But of course, it would take too long, you know. But it would be nice, yeah. Um, and just the the richness of the language and the alliteration, you know, in the mention, the mention, the covering, the crick, the whole thing. It just would take you. It would take. If it does carry you away, it sure does. Mm-hmm. Did you think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I suppose you have it in every language, but we don't know it. I asked Ethne about her own decision to become a storyteller, and by way of an answer, she told me another story. I read that book, Women Who Run With Wolves. It's just, I think, the book was sent to me by a woman. I'd never I'd never met her. She came here with a friend, and... Um, 
she stayed the weekend and that weekend I won um, a storytelling competition it was funny you know, and it was the first storytelling competition I ever won and you know sometimes you read a book and it's a book that you actually you didn't know it but it was a book you needed to read mm-hmm. and Women Who Run With Wolves was one of those books yeah. and I think yeah oh it's fabulous mm-hmm. um, there was one story in it about this you know the seal is it the seal no maybe she had it as a seal but here it's a story of the man who goes down to Lothar's Bay and he sees the mermaids out and then out in the sea and they're they're dancing and they're swimming away and having like laughing and having a crack and then but one of them had left her shawl you know her clothes the mermaid clothes on a rock mm-hmm. and he coughed and then he left some kind of noise out of him anyway and they all jumped and they got their cloaks and they went back into the sea but there was one of them he had taken the cloak off the rock and she couldn't go back into the sea mm-hmm. he had taken her skin so you know he kind of compels her to marry him then and they go and get married and have children but one day anyway the father is out in the farm and he's out at the tramcocks and one of the children sees the cloak in the tramcock and he goes and he tells the mother and that night the mother goes down and she just racks the tramcock asunder and she gets the cloak she gets her skin and she puts it back on and she goes back into the sea and she leaves her own children and she leaves the life that she knew but at some level she she just knew that she had to wear her own skin to be truly happy to be truly herself you know and this isn't said in the story but that's the message that you can only be truly happy if you are if you're if you're loyal to what you are yourself that as a woman you need to find your skin and you might be a few years. I think everyone lives a few years without their skin. But then you just need to find your own skin again to become, just to, to be true to yourself. And and you have to leave behind whatever you have to leave behind. Even your own child is in that woman's case. And um, there's an awful lot to be said about story, isn't there? Uh, like that story is in the school's collection from Mahara it was written by a child but it's also in the book Women Who Run With Wolves a version of it is and like there's none of the explanations it's just you know the mermaids were out swimming the man took a cloak she had to go back and married him and then she went back to the sea in the story in the school's collection it's only that she went back to her and and that's the end of the story. She went back to her own people and under the sea. But, you know, there's just endless possibilities. Maybe um, she ran away from him. Maybe he killed her. Maybe she drowned. Maybe she's locked up. You know, we don't know. But the, tr- the truth is that she, she ran to be herself, to be happy, to find happiness. And she needed her own skin to find that. I'm just thinking it as well now. You know, when they went down and the mermaids came up and they took off their skin. Mm-hmm. You know, why did so why did yeah, that? why did they take off their skin? Like they're mermaids. Mm-hmm. You know, they were already in the water. There must be some symbolism that maybe do we take off our skin like do we subconsciously take or consciously take off our skins?
Thank you so much for listening to Fair Folk Podcast. Please, if you enjoy it, share the podcast with your friends and rate it positively on iTunes. That makes a big difference in how easy it is to find. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a special Christmas episode. Until then, take good care, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.